Welcome to the Bridge Church Podcast. Our purpose statement at Bridge Church is to reach people where they are and help them grow. We hope today's message inspires you towards growth, and we pray it's life-changing, and we hope to see you soon. All right, all right. Well, I'm going to take my time I didn't mean it in that way. I'm going to take my time because by the looks of it, I'm not sure how long I'll be able to do one service in this place, which is a, which is a good problem, praise God. Uh, I want to make you aware of just some announcements here. Uh, the first is, uh, as I mentioned, uh, we'll be doing Bible study upstairs, and that Bible study, again, is meant to equip you uh, to become a disciple-making disciple. So I really want to encourage you that some of you uh, are not in a growth group, which we have uh, during the semester, but we really want to make sure you're equipped to be effective in the community. The reason why we are growing isn't because of a cool band or preaching. It's because our people are on mission, all right? And and that makes a difference. When the church is on mission, it makes a difference. So, So we want to equip you for that. Again, We have the date night on February 25th, but I do want to make you aware uh, in the Bronx, uh, I do a marriage conference called The Power of Us. Uh, We did it several years ago. Uh, I'll be doing that for a church called Promised Land where Dr. Michael Carrion is the founding pastor. And so I'll be doing that February 17th and 18th, the week before. You can register for that at uh, powerofus.nyc, powerofus.nyc. Uh, if you want to go there. So that's February 17th and 18th. Uh, But that's a weekend thing, uh, and it's in the Bronx. And so we have a smaller, condensed version of that when we do the date night deal, and that'll have food and and dancing, and the the playlist is partially saved. And then um, we also, it is uh, Black History Month, and... um, And much of, much of black history should be seen as church history. Uh, be, did y'all feel that? You felt that? Uh, because if it were not for the black church, the church in America would never be orthodox. And so we have a lot of great leaders. So uh, we do have an organization called Pray March Act. And uh, we have hoodies that uh, we, uh, we have different leaders on there. Uh, like um, uh, Ida B. Wells and Mary McLeod Bethune Cookman, and so uh, Cookman Bethune. So we want to be able to get those sweatshirts out. We'll have them here next week, and um, we're, I'm trying to get rid of all of them. Praise God! So uh, they'll be they'll be here now. Where they will be here, I do not know, uh, but we'll have them here, and uh, we're just taking donations for them. So uh, I'm trying to get rid of all of them. Amen. Amen. Uh, okay, uh, let me deal with some, this is not a controversy, it's really fun. Uh, many of you were here for last week when we were uh, announcing the All Nations Initiative. We raised uh, $255,000. We were supposed to raise, praise God. <clears throat> we, we had intended on raising $65,000. That night, the night, that night that we made the announcement, more, mo- more money, more money, more money came in. <laughs> And uh, only a few people got that joke. Um, We ended up with $272,147. 
So I want to I want to have full disclosure. We we do raise money uh, from churches externally, right? So we do have churches that give to us. So there have been a lot of questions, people coming up like, how how, many, how much money did we raise outside the church? Because how much? So how many of you all think we raised that amount? Fifty percent came from outside. How many of you think fifty percent came from outside? Five percent. 10%, 25%, 25 about 25%. That was 100% internal, 100%, 100%, 100%. Now, I want, I want you to know, somebody got money. That's what, everybody, right? That's what I feel. I can feel, like, everybody's like, who, who, it wasn't me. Listen, listen. Now, I want you to, I want you to, listen, I want you to understand the power of community. There were $10,000 gifts. There were $20,000 gifts. Listen, but there were $5 gifts. There were $10 gifts. And there were $20 gifts. And we were able to, to make an impact financially because everyone gave what they could. Now you do that, you take that on a spiritual plane and the harvest is plentiful. Okay, so keep that in mind that what we did wasn't because we just had a few givers. We, everyone bought in. And so those funds will be used to be able to serve this city. I want to start our February off. Last year, if you do remember, uh, we had a great emphasis on prayer and I want to begin this year off uh, how many of y'all uh, just completed the 21-day fast with us? Praise God. With an emphasis on prayer. And so I want to do something uh, today. I want us um, to... Is John here? Is John Lewis here? He's here. Oh, he got his baby. Can you play, play for me a little bit? I want to I do something. Uh, I want us to begin to pray for, for the month of February. I'd like for us to pray for families. Amen. Um, and so I wonder, I'm going to have us all standing in a second, but if you're a father here, would you stand with me? If you're a father, if you're a father. All right. All right. Let's take a second right now. Let's take a second right now. Let's pray for our fathers right now. Fathers. Pray for your children. Fathers, pray for your wife. Fathers, pray for your family. Lord, our city needs great fathers. Our city needs fathers who are strong, fathers who are wise. But the Bible says when we gain our strength from you, it's not because we have strengthened of ourselves, it's because we've laid ourselves before you. You are our strength. Redefine masculinity through these men. Make these men famous in their home. Make them famous with their daughters, famous with their sons, famous in their neighborhood. Give them a platform so that your name might be known. Or just bless our fathers. Now, if you're a mother here, would you stand up? No, stay, stay standing. Stay standing, Father. Stay standing, Father. Mother, stand with me. Stand with me. 
Let's pray for our mothers. Let's pray for our mothers. Mothers, where would we be without the strength of our mothers? Father, thank you for the nurture and the care. God, give them strength when they are balancing everything. I want to speak specifically over the single parent mothers, the one that are juggling too much, oftentimes with too little. Strengthen mothers. Now, mothers, pray for your children. Pray that your children be, would be able to hear the voice of the Lord through your voice. Let them become wise and be trained through your voice. Strengthen our mothers. Give them the kind of insight that they would discern when the child is wandering, when the child is confused. Give them strength. Bless our mothers. And in the end, Lord, we pray that our mothers in this church, when they feel like they are doing everything they can do, when they feel like they've just lost all the answers, give them the peace that surpasses all. I pray peace over our mothers right now. I pray peace over our mothers right now. Give them the, your, not, no, 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 not the peace of this world, your peace, your peace. There's so much anxiety out there, your peace. Oh God, we pray for our mothers. Now, if you are a child, would you stand? If you have parents, stand on your feet. If you got a mama and a daddy, we're gonna pray for our families. Right now, I want you to pray for your mom and your dad right now. Father, you know. Father, you understand? I'm, I'm not asking how close you are to your mom and your dad. I'm just saying, pray for your mother and father. I'm, I'm not asking about intimacy. I'm just saying right now, bless your mother. Bless your father. Bless them. God, strengthen my mother. Strengthen my father. Just bless your family right now. It's not too late. It's not too late to bless them. It's not too late to forgive them. It's not too late to try to get close to them. Bless your mother and your father. If they're still here, just bless them. Now for your brothers and your sisters, bless them. For those in your family, just think of their names. Bless them. Strengthen them. Bring them under your knowledge. Bring them under your care. Bless my family, God. Bless my sisters, our brothers, nieces and nephews. Bless my family, God. Now, finally, I just want you to think of different families in your neighborhood. Just different families in your neighborhood. Different families in your neighborhood. I just want you to think about your neighbors. God, would we salt and light to our neighbors? Would we be a blessing to our neighbors? Would they see something in us? And for those neighbors, for those families, would the love of Christ emanate from our apartments? Would the love of Christ emanate from our homes? 
Would the love of Christ emanate from our family for truly this grand narrative of blessing started with blessing a family that would be a blessing to families. Make my family a blessing to families. And in the end, Lord, you'll be praised. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen, you be seated, you may be seated. All right, well, the clock says one thing, amen? First Peter, first Peter, if you have your Bible, let's turn to first Peter, first Peter. We're going to be walking through first Peter for the next few months, first Peter, first Peter. We're going to be walking through first Peter for the next few months. This series we are going to is entitled Hope Fully, and we are anchoring our minds on the the concept of hope. And Peter here is dealing with the people who are exiled, and they are essentially not only away from home, but they're being persecuted. And Peter wants them to know that even though you are in a very difficult circumstance, you can still hope in God. Circumstance can be hopeless and you can still be hope what? Full. You can still be hopeful. And many of you here today are struggling right now with hope, with your future. Martin Luther King Jr. said it this way, we must accept finite disappointment but never lose infinite hope. Dr. Neil Burton a author who writes on emotions, writes that he always asks patients for what they hope for at the end of their time because if they say nothing, he knows it's a sign of depression or even worse. The mind and the heart must have something to look forward to, must press into a positive future, and if not, the mind and the heart become confused, depressed, concerned, anxious, and alone. Proverbs 13 and 12 would say that the hope, when hope is deferred, it makes the heart sick. But a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. In this room right now, there are varying levels of hope. Some of you are wildly optimistic about your future. You've worked hard, you've seen the fruit of your labor, you've done great things, and you see a rhythm to your life where you could only presume things are going to get better. And yet there are some of you where you've had very difficult circumstances, where you've seen the rhythm and pattern of your life, and you can't be as wildly optimistic about your future based upon what you've seen. You've had evidence so far to prove to you there's really nothing to look forward to. In this same room, there are people who are hopeful and there are some who are hopeless. And yet there's good news. According to Dr. Chad Hellman, who is the director of the Hope Center in Oklahoma, where they literally study the concept of hope. 
He says this, hope is not a feeling, nor is hope a aspect of personality. Hope is a way of thinking. And if it is a way of thinking, then hope can be taught. Just as you teach a a child two plus two equals four, you can teach a person how to hope, how to think differently about their future. I grew up uh, singing with choirs, not that I was singing well in the choir. Choir hides the troubled voice, amen? (laughs) We sung, my hope is built on nothing less. Then Jesus' blood and his righteousness, I dare not trust the sweetest friend. I wholly lean on Jesus' name, on Christ, my solid rock. I stand all other ground is sinking sand. Now, if you ever were part of a choir, you had to kill that part. <laughs> sand, that's what we do. <laughs> Time is filled with swift transition. None, none on earth, unmoved can stand. Build your hopes on things eternal. Hold to God's unchanging time. I do not have time, amen, but. (laughs) The scientists tell us hope can be taught. The songs tell us hope can be built. What that means is wherever you are today, you can learn how to hope. You can build hope. The the state of hope you're in does not define the state of hope you will be in if you decide to learn. You can learn how to hope. And some of you hoped once and you need to hope again. And so these next few weeks, we're going to Learn how to hope. You've never, many of us have never thought about that. I I don't know how to hope. Well, you're going to learn how to hope. We're going to teach you how to hope. Now, understand when we say hope, there is a type of hope that is wishful thinking. Uh, My daughter, Leah, is not here today. She is at a track meet. She runs the 400 meters. Praise God. And uh, she's in New Jersey right now running. And there are other girls who run at a similar time as her. Will she win? I hope she wins. I'm I'm leaning into that belief. But I'm uncertain of it. That's wishful thinking. And, And some of you are intuitively more hopeful than others. Your personality, your background, you just kind of have a way that you think more forward. You lean into positive thoughts. You think things could possibly work out. But the hope that we want to teach is not wishful thinking. The hope that we want to teach is an eternal hope, something much more well-defined, which has nothing to do with your personality and does not have to do with your background. Does not have to do what you've seen in life. This kind of hope we are teaching is not based upon you. It is based upon God and his character. Psalm 42, 5 and 6, the psalmist would say, why? Listen to what he does to himself. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? What, What does he say? Hope in God. 
for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Biblical hope has a moral certainty to it because of the person you are trusting in. It is a concrete hope in a holy God. So when we say hope in God, we are not saying cross your fingers. When we say hope in God, listen to what I'm going to tell you. Expect great things from God. That's hope. Expect great things from God. Expect great things from God. That is hope. We're not going to look at a lot of verses today. We're only going to look at uh, a couple of verses. We're going to essentially walk slowly through this because if I have ever presume there is an issue our culture needs, it is a greater sense of hope and it is a greater understanding of who to hope in. First Peter chapter one, verses one and two. It reads this way, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for the sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Peter is writing to a group of people who have been dealing with a Roman Empire and a Roman emperor that is completely set against Christians. He presumed early on that when Christians came about that they were a sect of Judaism, another form of Judaism. But once the Roman Empire concluded that they were rejected by Jews, they then saw this as a group that could be easily persecuted. So this dispersion that you see is a number of different areas, and the letter is intended to be a letter that goes around to different communities. But what I want to deal with today is really the person writing the letter and some of the statements he makes in the letter. As he introduces himself, he also gives an encouragement to them. What I want to hang on today is if you are learning how to hope, if you are building hope, you must know two things. You must know that you are loved by God. And you must know how much God loves you. You must, you must, you must know that you love God. You must be in love with God in order to have a great hope in him. And you must know how much God loves you. Peter, the, the reason why this is important is because Peter, uh, scholars question if Peter wrote this book. And they have good reason to question that. Because Peter, the writer of this book, in Acts chapter 4, when he was in front of the Sanhedrin, they said these are, when Peter and John were in front of the Sanhedrin, they said these are uneducated, untrained men. His writing style is Pauline, meaning it's similar to Paul. But if you know Paul's background, Paul is highly trained. Peter is seen as uneducated and untrained. 
When you look in the book of Matthew, when he's speaking one time, people said they could tell he was uh, Galilean because of his thick accent. (laughs) Essentially, Peter is a man that was a blue-collar worker, a fisherman. And scholars are trying to wrestle with how does this fisherman write such an eloquent letter? And the controversy is really based not only on that, but did you ever grow up with someone who always made a fool of themselves? Who, when you think back to high school, there's like that one dude that always did the silly thing and made themselves look like an idiot. Peter was that guy. And Peter was the type of person that was memorable for all the wrong reasons throughout the Gospels. If you remember the story of Peter, Peter steps out of the boat courageously, but then ends up sinking. If you remember Peter, who, this is all, it's it's never a good idea to pull Jesus aside and rebuke him. Amen? (laughs) He pulls Jesus aside, rebukes him, and, and Jesus says, Satan, get behind me. Also, it's never encouraging when Jesus calls you Satan. They get into a fight, and now one good thing is that Peter is about that life, right? He is that friend you want. <laughs> Cut off the soldier's ear. Y'all remember that story? Okay, Peter is that guy. Jesus helpfully put the ear of the soldier back on. Thank you, Jesus. But at the height of his failures is a failure you may remember that Jesus actually predicts. Jesus is being crucified, and Peter says, when everyone else leaves you, I'm not going to leave you. I'll be right there by your side, and I would never deny you. And Jesus predicts, you will deny me three times. The Bible says in Luke 22, verse 60 through 62, Peter replied, man, I don't know who you're talking about. This is the third time he's denying him. And just as he's speaking, the rooster crowed. In verse 61, can you imagine this imagery? The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. And then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And when he and he went outside and wept bitterly. These tears that Peter cried is the height of disappointment. Peter has come to the conclusion, I blew it. This is the biggest failure I could possibly imagine. Peter, this was his big moment that he was going to be the second in charge. And Peter, like some of you, had these impulses of leadership. He had this belief in himself that he was the kind of guy, even as you have stories of him arguing as to who would be the greatest, Peter believed in himself, thought of himself as the kind of man who would lead. And yet Peter, the Bible says in this moment, weeps bitterly. What are those bitter tears about? Peter is not weeping about the crucified Savior. Peter's crying about himself. 
Jesus is over there being crucified. He's not crying for Jesus. He's crying because I failed again. I blew it again. I thought I was someone I am not. And some of you have cried those bitter tears. I thought I was this person and I got in this moment and I found out I'm really not who I thought I was. Peter is one of those people that wanted to make an impact in the world. And I believe some of you are that way. And some of you are in this tense moment of wanting to believe more and wanting to hope more. But you failed and failed and failed again. And in many ways, God has allowed you to have great failure so he could reorientate your hope from yourself to him. Many of you have learned to hope in human ability. Right degree, right time, I'm going to make it. And some of you may make it, that does not mean you'll make a godly impact. Human potential does not speak to having, making an eternal difference. The kind of leaders that God is looking for are not just people who are on a platform. It's the kind of people who are filled with the spirit and have dynamic character, who have learned to trust him in the hardest of circumstances. So some of you have failed because you put all the hope in yourself, in your human potential. Some of you have put hope in human opportunity because you know the right people. I know, I know him. See, one, I'm a, okay, I'm going to go here and I'm going to meet him and he's going to introduce me to him. And when I meet him, I'm going to meet them. And when I meet them, I'm going to become him. And you have placed your hope in a network. You've made your hope in connections. You've made your hope in having the right resume at the right time and meeting the right people. And just as Peter has to have his hope redistributed, I believe if that's where you're at, you must have your hope redistributed away from human potential and away from human opportunity. Here, in this incredible moment Jesus does in John 21, Peter, after the resurrection, Peter essentially resigns from ministry. You don't hear about him. After this moment, he weeps bitterly and doesn't want anything to do with the ministry, essentially. Doesn't want to keep going the same way he was going. Failed so big, can't make a comeback. And in this moment, in John 21, Jesus keeps asking him a question. He keeps asking him a question. The question is, do you love me? And on the third time, in John 21 and 17, he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? 
And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And this is what, this is what Jesus says to Peter. All right, then. Feed my sheep. Go ahead now. Lead my people. And what Jesus did is he took a man that was hopeless, who had placed all this hope in himself, and he got him to reorientate the hope that he had away from himself and placing it into God. And for many of you, you are wondering, how could I make a comeback from the failures that I've had? How can I be the person that I believe I have all this potential to be? And I believe you need a moment just like Jesus had with Peter, where he takes you to the side and he gets you to see that you've been placing your hope in yourself and you must start with me. The question was not, do you want to lead? The question was, do you love me? Well, then go ahead and feed my sheep. You've been trying to feed the sheep and you've detached yourself from intimacy with me. Do you love me? The love of God will fuel you to hope again. Do you love me? That's the question. The question that we must ask is have I been convinced of the love of God? Because if I know God loves me and I'm in love with God, no failure can stop me. Because I know who I love. And for those of you that want to lead and make an impact, I want you to do this. Stop trying to be a leader first and start trying to love first. Make the love of God your priority. Look what, look what he says. Do you love me? Yes, feed my sheep. Do you love me? Well, now be a leader. Do you love me? Okay, now start the business. Do you love me? Okay, now go and be an entrepreneur. Get your priorities right. Because you can have the love of God and nothing else and hope again. So the love of God is there. You can count on it. You can trust in it. You see, if you ask me, will you ever get divorced from your wife? Wouldn't it be wild if I said, I hope not. (laughs) 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 Hoping it works out. No, no, no. I would tell you, absolutely not. I'm never divorced from my wife. Now, let me tell you this. Here's why. I've got 20 years of evidence in her concrete personality. I've got 20 years of evidence of her concrete character. I've got 20 years of conversations, 20 years of late night, praise the Lord, 20 years. Listen, 20 years, 20 years. So you cannot sway me about that. I know who I know, who I know, because I base that on her character. Now, you can take away buildings from me. I've had them taken away. You can take away money from me. I've been broke. 
you can take away health from me. I've been sick. But you can take away all those things, but don't take away the love of God. Because I know that I know that I know that I'm in love with God. There have been days, one day uh, when we moved up here, when we were starting a church, we had no people, no money. Someone said, why are you here? And I was so tired. I was like, because Jesus rose from the dead. It's cold out. I do ministry because Jesus rose from the dead. And I met a man years ago, and he radically changed my life. You see, there are people who are successful but hopeless. There are people who are platform yet pitiful. There are people who you see, but they don't feel seen. And you're scrolling on Instagram trying to be like somebody who they don't even want to be themselves. And I'm telling you, if you have hope in God, it anchors you through every storm, every storm. You must be in love with God because when you're in love with God, you start to have your head look up and trust and be like, I don't have anything, but I have him. And he's enough. Start there. Fall back in love with the Lord again. Don't don't sit there and gaze at your LinkedIn. And gaze at all your failures and what you should be and could be. Look at who he is. Because if you gaze at who he is, He, you will be like Peter, who they called you uneducated, untrained. But they, when you wrote a letter, they said, they could, this couldn't be you. This, this couldn't be you. The one that we couldn't even understand when he, this couldn't be you. But what he heard was, feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. And he took that, and we are eating from him thousands of years later. Because he started with the love of God and he made secondarily feed my sheep. If you want to make an impact, start with, do you love me? Then start the business. Then have the platform and you'll make an impact that goes beyond your imagination because you've connected to the love of God. Let me say secondly, before I close, secondly, you must not just concretely love God, but you must know that God loves you. Peter says, as an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who are elect exiles, and he also says, this is according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Peter uses a very unique phrasing, elect exiles. Um, It could be chosen sojourners or elected aliens, he could say. The the Greek word for exiles is a person to whom is in a land temporarily residing. And as we mentioned, these Christians are scattered. They are essentially homeless, wandering and being persecuted. He's saying you're not home. 
You feel the pain of being exiled. You feel the pain of being an alien. But he's also saying you've been chosen. You've been elected. Now, far too often, the idea of choosing an election, we go and we think deeply about how theological we can be with this question of choosing and electing. But here's what you have to understand. Choosing is a part of God's personality and character. He's a chooser. That's who he is. God could have chosen the Ammonites, but he chose the Israelites. God could have chose the Hittites. He chose the Israelites. God could have chose a brother named Kevin. But he chose Abraham. He chose him. He could have chose a brother named Joe, but he chose Job. He chose him. God chooses who will not only live for him, but who will love him. God chooses. And God chose you, and that's why you're here today. You did not decide to follow. He chose you, then you followed. It gives him, the the power of choosing is not thinking about who didn't get chosen. It's about giving all glory to God. The Bible says it this way, John 15 and 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you. Now look, and appointed you that you should go bear much fruit and fruit should abide so that whatever you ask in my name, he may give it to you. Now, some of you need to write this verse down because it says if you've been chosen, it's to bear fruit. It means he's a cho- you've, you've been chosen and assigned to bear much fruit. Uh, interestingly enough, whenever I do couples counseling, uh, I always ask how you met. And it's always like this debate, like, well, I was pursuing her and he was trying to, and she, he wasn't really giving me my number. And, then, and just to avoid the confusion, the Lord says, don't forget, I chose you. I pursued you. When you weren't pursuing me. First John 4.19, we love because he first loved us. So the first thing we have to understand is the reason why you want to get up in the morning and talk to God is because he first pursued you. And he's always loved you. And that's what I want to end our time with. How much God has always loved you. Before the beginning of time, God has been in love with you, cared for you, thought of you. And our response has been to love him. In closing in verse 2, he says, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. To foreknow someone is to know them in a personal way way and to set your affection on them. Psalm 1 6 says the Lord knows the way of the righteous. It means he intimately understands it. Genesis 4 1 it says Adam knew his wife. That doesn't mean they had a Bible study. Amen. (laughs) The kind of knowing there is intimacy. So when you read this as for knowledge some of you take that as oh knowing a person in terms of knowing they exist, knowing what's going to happen, that kind of foreknowledge. But this kind of foreknowledge is an intimate knowledge. It's not just knowing what's going to happen. 
It's setting affection on you. Knowing what's going to happen is foreseeing. But knowing you personally is foreknowledge. It's intimate. And so in Jeremiah 1, 4, and 5, this is what it says. Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, listen, before I formed you in the womb, I what? I knew you. Read that again. Before I formed you in the womb, I what? I knew you. Before I formed you in the womb, I what? I knew you. I know you. But I, I know you. I was stepping out the water and I said, I know you. Remember when I cut off that man? I know. But I know you. And I've always known you. And I knew you when you were sitting in the lunchroom all alone, wondering if you'll be someone one day. I knew you then. And the biggest mistake you ever made, I knew you then too. So you think I'm foreseeing. No, I'm foreknowing. I didn't just see you in your highlights, like social media. I knew you in your disappointments, like a good father. I know you. I know you. And if foreknowledge is truly foreknowledge, that means that God has always loved you and he loved you before stars were made. And he loved you before buildings were erected. And he loved you before the the heavens were formed. He's always loved you. He loves you. And he loves you through your disappointments. And the reason why you hope, the reason why we expect great things from God is because I've never had to be great to be loved by God. He loved me when I was nothing. (laughs) There's a picture here of my beautiful daughter, Sophia, my third born. It's her showing us her little uh, tooth that came out one night. Sophia and I, is my, she's, that's my dance partner. Before we go to bed, we do a little dance together and all that. And then she shows me her little karate moves. and She's very comical, very funny girl. <laughs> Sophia, uh, she, does this, she does this little thing where she has these two dolls. and She pretends that I'm the granddad and they're her kids. And, like, there's a lot that goes into that baby, but we're going <laughs> to pretend these are your children. She's very creative, very imaginative, very funny. And I love her. But I want to show you a picture when I started loving her. And I was walking around with that thing. That thing looked like a ghost. I was like, oh, look at my baby. Look at my baby. I see my baby. This is my boo. She's cute. This look like a ghost. And this was before she made me laugh. This is before we joked around. This is before she did anything. I deeply loved her. And as a father, as a father, she doesn't have to impress me to be loved. 
She was loved by me before I knew how she looked, before I knew she could dance. I loved her. And the reason why you can expect great things from God is because he loved you before you had the opportunity to fail. He loved you. So arch up your neck, lift up your eyes, and hope in God again. We hope today's message was encouraging to you. We would love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. If this message was impactful to you today, please send us an email, info at bridgechurchnyc.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. Our handles on our social media platforms is BridgeChurchNYC. Our website is BridgeChurchNYC.com. If you are in the New York City area, we would love to see you on a Sunday. Our services on Sundays are at 11 a.m. and the address is 345 Adams Street in downtown Brooklyn. Thanks for listening to our podcast today and we hope to see you soon.